Hello, everybody, and welcome to the May 15th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine, and you may have read some stories from about a few weeks ago. Some of these date back to about a week ago. Some others are even up to two, almost three weeks ago now. Or no, I think just over two weeks ago. The oldest one I saw was about 15 days. But you may have seen stories about snowfall going on in May in various parts of New England and even entering the Midwest. And my first thought was when I saw these stories, I hadn't talked about them yet because I didn't know how I wanted to respond to them. My first response to this was, you know that some dumbass is going to say this disproves global warming which no one has called it in about 10 years. And they love to say that, by the way. Michael Knowles said in a PragerU video once that that was evidence, as did Paul Joseph Watson, that that was evidence that the left was moving the goalpost. How about we found a more accurate term? How about the people who actually study this shit found a more accurate term than global warming? And even then, you know there are people reacting to this, saying this disproves global warming, as if that therefore makes it normal. It hasn't snowed in May, en masse, since about 2013, before then it hadn't done so since 1996, and even then it was an oddity, and, and we had an explanation, and before then it hadn't done so since the 30s. The 30s. But no, this disproves global warming, therefore, I guess we can be... It's that dog in the burning house going, this is fine. That's what climate change denial in 2020 really is. And mind you, you want to talk about people who move the goalpost constantly or who, dis, or who uh, misrepresent numbers constantly. You look at the climate change denialists. I remember Courtney Kershaw from Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder, by the way, had nothing to say about the snow in May story. Neither did the Daily Wire. Neither did the Daily Wire. Neither did InfoWars, to my knowledge. Gee, I wonder why that is. Um, she posted it was like in between a span of three months. The amount of ice that had melted, and I think it was like the Arctic Ocean, had almost gotten back to normal. It was three months. Now, if you expand that graph since about 2002, I think she posted that in 2018 or 19, you see that, oh man, the amount of ice, that does happen quite a bit, but the word almost is doing a lot of legwork because over a long period of time, gaining almost all of it back becomes losing quite a bit. Hmm. And by the way, I find it very funny that climate change deniers often say, well, that's just weather occurring. Meanwhile, they don't know how seasons work. That's a big claim that, oh, um, in this span of three months, the ice has melted. But in this span of three months, the ice has increased. And that was after this first span of three months. That's called summer and winter, moron. Yeah, that's kind of how the rotation of this planet works. We factored that in. Don't worry. Do not worry. The scientists did not forget to factor in the concept of seasons. And then there are all the times where 
we actually listened to the scientists and started doing something about it, which they tried to stop every step of the way. And then when the worst case scenario didn't happen, uh, they ran a victory lap. This is why Inconvenient Truth, you know, Al Gore's first movie. Uh, now there's a sequel out. I haven't seen that. But this is why Inconvenient Truth is not actually a very good movie anymore for talk about climate change. Because any prediction Gore made in Inconvenient Truth was accurate for the carbon emissions of, I think it was 2006 that came out. However, we have dropped carbon emissions massively since 2006. The U.S. regularly leads the world in dropping carbon emissions, in fact. Uh, so here's just one really infamous example. Okay, this is probably the most infamous clip from Inconvenient Truth. It's when Al Gore says, I'm going to look at the exact year, I think it was 06. Yeah, it was 2006. Okay, Al Gore said, and this is an infamous clip of Inconvenient Truth, that by 2016, Mount Kilimanjaro would not have snow anymore because of global warming. Okay, and they love to play that clip. Say, look at how ridiculous Al Gore was. I mean... He said that in 2016, there wouldn't be snow on Mount Kilimanjaro. Now it's snowing in May, and we're just all used to it. Yeah, it doesn't really help their case in the slightest. Uh, <laughs> however, that prediction was specifically if carbon emissions continued at their 2006 levels. Since then, at the behest that the continent um, despise, of various people who now make fun of Al Gore for predicting that. We have dropped carbon emissions massively. Seriously, massively. And that is why, like AOC has said, we have 20 years to um, solve climate change. That's not true. That really isn't. Uh, various uh, climatologists at the Heartland Institute had a conversation about this. It was moderated by John Stossel. That is probably not true. The world is not going to end in 20 years because of climate change. One of the main reasons is going to be that we have gone out of our way to prepare for it over the course of that 20 years. We have cut carbon emissions drastically. And we will continue to do so for the next 20 years. And that is why they always say, oh, in 20 years, it's going to be 20 years. And in 20 more years, it's going to be 20 more years. No, it's going to be when, if current carbon emissions continue, the worst case scenario hits. I'm sorry, but that's true. And all of the fear you hear from Democratic politicians are about if the status quo continues. Now, mind you, does that mean there isn't some fear-mongering? Of course there's fear-mongering. Of course there are people overreacting, and of course there have been bad predictions that did not line up with the evidence. Um, there was the acid rain scare in the 80s. There was all this fear that we'd have all this acid rain pouring down. It would kill us all. That probably wasn't going to happen. Um, in the 1970s, and this is another one they absolutely love to bring up, 
scientists started warning about what they called global cooling, which I guess is the re which I guess was apparently proven right recently. I guess was apparently proven right recently. Um before they started talking about global warming. Well, now we know kind of both are happening. And when we realized, oh, wait, both are happening, they said, well, how could it be changing? Now, all of a sudden, that's the argument they love making. Is, oh, anything climate-based happens, you're blaming it on climate change? Kind of, yeah, kind of. And mind you, there are still things that we aren't 100% absolutely positively sure about. I will never deny that. And there were apocalyptic predictions that were made about what would happen if carbon dioxide were released into the air. However, the idea that it was come up that it was just Al Gore sitting in a room somewhere thinking, how am I going to take over the world? Uh, <laughs> and then coming up with global warming as a result is just utter nonsense. It is seriously anti-intellectualism. The truth is, the truth is, Al Gore wasn't even the first guy talking about it. Carl Sagan was talking about it slightly earlier. I think it was uh, Al Gore held the first hearing in 78. I think this was around the mid-70s. I also think Ralph Nader was talking about it for around the same time. There were papers written, peer-reviewed papers, written by people, I think it was in Norway specifically, in the either late 19th century or early 20th century, that said that carbon dioxide would cause a warming effect. That's just undeniable. Um, but no, it was just come up with in the 1970s uh, by Al Gore, so he could take your money or something. I guess. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Anyway, uh, I've been talking about the Ahmed Arabi case, and the fact that the apologetics for Gregory McMichael and Travis McMichael, his son, have been utterly nonsensical. They've never made sense, and they still don't make sense. Unless you believe, again, that minor acts of trespassing is worthy of a death sentence. However, however, the men accused, accused, giant quotes there from CBS, what, what do they mean accused? We have it on video, but they were just accused. No, they were seen. We know that they shot him. The question now is whether or not it's justified, and it clearly wasn't. Uh, shooting higher attorneys. Now, this isn't the part I want to talk about. This isn't the part I want to talk about. I do want to talk about a specific quote from them. Give me a second. Okay. Uh, where the... Instead, I want to talk about the kind of hypocritical statements the attorney makes. Uh, the attorneys in question are Laura and Frank Hogue a husband and wife criminal defense team based in Makan, um, who have been hired to represent the 64-year-old Gregory McMichael. Now, here's what Laura Hogue had to say. So often, the public accepts a narrative driven by, incomplete, by an incomplete set of facts. No, really? 
based on a rush to judgment, which has happened in this case. Yes, I agree. In fact, I think this whole case was kind of based on a rush to judgment. Specifically, the rush to judgment made by Gregory McMichael and Travis McMichael. Um, here's an example, by the way, of Travis McMichael downright lying. We've had a string of burglaries, Travis McMichael said on a 911 recording. There's no evidence of that. There is no evidence on that. When they got the police records from that town, they found there had been one burglary two months ago. You know that house that was incomplete that uh, Ahmed had walked into on numerous occasions? There's no evidence of him stealing anything. The person who owned that house, Larry English, specifically said that he hadn't stolen anything. So that's nonsensical. Um, I was leaving the neighborhood and I just caught a guy running into a house being built two houses down from me. Uh, oh man, oh man, oh man. Yeah, it just startled me, Travis McMichael later said. Uh, you know, I, I think running up to a guy with a gun also startled him. Did Ahmed Arabi fear for his life? Serious question. Did Ahmed Arabi fear for his life? I seriously want to know. Well, we can't know because he's kind of dead now. Uh, when I turned around and saw him and backed up, he reached into his pocket and ran into the house. So I don't know if he's armed or not. This is from a 911 call. Uh, but he looked like he was acting like he was. So be mindful of that. That was a 911 call given. A whole bunch of this shit is just lie after lie after lie. But now, I want to talk about the rush to judgment statement. Who are you? And remember what we just read. Remember what we just read. That was the 911 statement from Travis McMichael. And now it's his team complaining about a rush to judgment. That doesn't make any sense. That objectively makes no sense. The people who made a rush to judgment, a far worse rush to judgment, were Travis and Gregory McMichael, who walked up to Ahmed Arabi with a gun and shot him. After, I guess, Ahmed tried to fight back against the weird guys walking up to him with a gun. Like, you just cannot make this up. You're the people talking about a rush to judgment. You have no right to talk about that. You people have no right to talk about any kind of rush to judgment. In any regards. In any regards. But now that's the country we live in now. That's the country we live in, where you cannot judge video evidence of a guy being shot any more than you can any any more any more in fact you can judge it less than you can judge a black guy walking into an incomplete house seriously seriously nobody's calling him out on this nobody is calling him out on this really this whole thing is utterly nonsensical and, you know, it'd be one thing, it would be one thing 
if we actually had evidence Ahmed Arabi was stealing something or hurting people or doing something. But we do not have that. Gregory and Travis McMichael did not have that because that evidence did not exist. And now look at where we are as a result. A guy is dead, and we have a large chunk of the population defending it under the grounds of, well, I guess he walked into a house, maybe illegally, I guess, and also he stole something three years ago and brought a gun into a basketball game seven years ago, um, and therefore, therefore, he deserves to be shot dead in the streets. This is utterly nonsensical. Utterly nonsensical. And I'm going to keep talking about this, because I know some people are thinking, Ephraim, why are you still talking about this case? I'm going to keep talking about it until there's a verdict, hopefully one where these people have to spend at least 20 years in jail, because this case should not be scraped from our public consciousness while it's still going on. And these hypocritical fucks who shot Ahmed Arabi do not deserve any kind of lack of rush to judgment. We should be judging them far more than we are currently, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, uh, here's some more news for you. New York admits knowingly undercounting nursing home deaths after quietly changing reporting rules. New York has omitted unknown numbers of coronavirus deaths in recent reports regarding residents of nursing homes and adult care facilities. The New York State Department of Health acknowledged in a statement to the Daily Caller News Foundation. Of course. In early May, those reports quit quietly began omitting long-term care residents who died of coronavirus in hospitals. Even so, New York still leads the nation with 5,433 reported deaths at nursing homes and adult care facilities as of Wednesday. Now, mind you, I kind of expected a state with, I think it's the third highest population, second or third. I think it's California, Texas, then New York. And it has the biggest city in the U.S., that being uh, New York City, to have more deaths than any other state. Like, that is not by itself this big gotcha. The biggest part of New York is the biggest city in the nation. And another giant part of it, the Manhattan Island. That would call it, it's like 19 square miles. And it fits like over a million people. May even be like over four or five million. A lot of people in a really short space. Um... Okay, so that does not bother me in the slightest. It doesn't. However, knowingly not counting deaths does actually bother me. Because mind you, this is that time when Governor Cuomo is specifically going out of his way to be friendly, to both be friendly with Donald Trump, and there are insider reports that he's trying to take the nomination of the Democratic Party away from Vice President Biden at the convention, which, if he does, wow, that's going to be something else. You think 68 looked bad? <laughs> it's going to be way worse. Maybe Como's going to be Biden's running mate. 
Because I want Sherrod Brown to be Biden's running mate. I know, but Como, there'd be no advantage. There really would be no advantage. I mean, they're going to win New York anyway. So there's no home state advantage like there would be with picking someone like Stacey Abrams or Sherrod Brown or Nina Turner. Um, when was the last time a Republican won? New I mean, the last Republican governor of New York was George Bakai, okay? And he was a very, very, very moderate Republican. Basically, the only part that he was really conservative on and how we think about it is taxes. Everything else, he was fairly liberal. This is the same state that gave us Nelson Rockefeller, who is referred to, who was the liberal Republican back when that was still a thing. That's why they called him Rockefeller Republicans. Because their main spokesman, their big guy, was New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller, who later became vice president under Gerald Ford for a while. Um, although he also brought Henry Kissinger into politics, which I could never forgive him for. <laughs> uh... So that's kind of what we're seeing now. And that's why Como is being pushed big time within the Democratic Party. And don't forget, he is also somewhat vulnerable. I mean, in 2018, there was a genuine campaign against him ran by Sylvia Nixon. That had a shot. It had a good shot. It lost, but it had a shot. Um... Which was just, that was something else entirely. Sylvia Nixon, for those who don't know, was basically the farthest left. She started off as she was an actress on Sex and the City. And then she just, like, was giving off these insanely progressive positions. She once said that we could give reparations to black people for slavery if we legalized marijuana, because that's basically the same thing. And I was just, I wanted her in office. I really did, just to see where it went, because that would be something else entirely. And now we got Andrew Yang, who, it's going to be a decade of Yang, guys. I keep telling you all, Yang has massive cult appeal, and there's not a single person who saw Andrew Yang who wasn't going to vote for him. It's the same thing with Bernie Sanders, and Andrew Yang is like 40 more years to be in politics. We are going to be in a decade of Yang, and I am promising you the first step is going to be that he runs for governor of New York in 2022. Seriously. Seriously. I genuinely think he's going to run for governor in 2022. And Andrew Como kind of knows this. And that's why he's sort of building himself up right now. Hence why he's just stopping reporting coronavirus deaths and also trying to get New York Republicans, all six of them, I mean, you guys had Giuliani, who was another Rockefeller-esque Republican. Yeah, he believed in strong law enforcement, wasn't a big fan of high taxes, but supported gay rights, you know, was pro-choice. And he had Michael Bloomberg as a Republican for a while, and now he's running, and then he ran as a Democrat for president just last year, or just this year. Huh, I'm Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> that will never get old to me. Um, so what we're seeing now is Andrew Como looking for 
any reason possible to be popular. Because a lot of people thought he was going to run in 2020. I thought he was going to run in 2020. Seriously. I really thought he was going to run in 2020. And he, there was a good chance he would have even gotten a nomination. Um, however, however, in this time period, what is going on is Como wants to be a national figure. He does. And right now, that is to mislead people regarding COVID-19 deaths. Specifically say there are less than there actually are. Hence why he is covering up, his health department is covering up deaths that are going on in nursing homes. And now they've admitted to it. Now we know they're doing it. Seriously. Now we know they are covering up deaths. Uh, the relevance comes as New York Governor Andrew Cuomo faces criticism for ordering nurses, nursing homes, and other long-term care facilities to accept patients from hospitals who have been tested positive for coronavirus, which was a great idea, by the way. Uh, Cuomo resigns that the March 25th order, which experts say led to higher levels of death among nursing home residents on May 11th to allow such facilities to wait until the coronavirus patient tests negatives before readmitting them. A side note, I love how Como refused to listen to experts. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. Now, Andrew Como doesn't have to because he's Andrew Como, because he's a New York governor. Because his father was a New York governor, and because his brother's a CNN host. Seriously. that That's how he's in politics. That is how Andrew and Chris Como got into politics. Their, their father was a governor of New York. I mean, this is a pure political move. This is a Trumpian political move, for that matter. This is purely somebody hiding information from you to make them look better. Um, or as we used to call it, a lie. Seriously, that's what this is. This is Andrew Cuomo lying about the amount of people who are dying. I thought the whole reason we had to do this lockdown was to save grandma. Well... If your grandma dies under an order Andrew Como signed, looks like this whole lockdown was for not according to him. And New York's still doing their lockdown, by the way. It should also be noted, New York is still doing their lockdown. But no, guys, no. This is all about saving people. Hence why Andrew Como just refuses to give out numbers about how many people he's saving. He's making up. How many people are dying, excluding them, if they die in a way he demanded? You should be ashamed of yourself. There's no way around it. You should be ashamed of yourself, Andrew. I mean, just wow. Just, just wow. Anyway, uh, here's a report from The Hill. Trump administration preparing to require that some essential drugs be made in the U.S. Of course... Of course, because during a pandemic, what we really need is to spike the price in drugs. Seriously, that's what we need. We need more expensive drugs during a pandemic, obviously. How is this allowed? How is this seriously allowed? We live in an era where it's very possible you could get sick and die of an illness going around. And therefore, your solution is to spike the price of drugs. Of course, if you directly spike the price of drugs, that gets massive backlash. But if you do it through tariffs 
and local manufacturing, then obviously that's okay. That's America first right there. The White House is preparing to require that some essential drugs be made in the U.S. The Trump administration ties to tries to limit dependency on China for medical supplies, which again just means limiting medical supplies. That is really what limiting dependency means. It means limiting medical supply during a pandemic. This is disgusting. There is no way around it. This is disgusting. White House trade advisor Peter Nerevo, aka Peter Burrito, the little, one of the most disgusting little scumfucks in the, in the entire um, White House right now, Previously proposed a similar executive order earlier this year, Burrito's order proposed in mid-March would streamline regulatory approval for American-made drugs and impose similar FDA restrictions on U.S. production facilities as those abroad. I mean, this is their plot. This is their plot. The isolationists understand that it is easier to rule 330 million people than it is to rule 8 billion. That's why they're against societies that operate globally. Because, at the end of the day, it is about control and power. And this is what they are doing right now. This monstrous ideology of nationalism, which is currently demanding that during a pandemic, we artificially inflate the price of products, I guess because, hey, at least it's made locally, it, this is what it is doing, and this is the end goal. The end goal is an entirely isolationist nation where the administration can rule you like a tyrant. I mean, that's really what is going on here. They don't want any say from the global from the global community, because otherwise, how are they going to violate your individual rights? You know, what about my sovereignty as an individual? Does that, does that not matter? No, it only matters um, the ability for the leader to rule you however he see fits. Your sovereignty doesn't matter. It's all about his sovereignty. Uh, to kill you if you step out of line. If you don't hail Hitler high enough. Okay, that was a little hyperbolic, I'll admit. Um, but you see what my point is. And if you look at the regimes that loved sovereignty, Saddam Hussein's Iraq, Hitler's Germany, they weren't the people. These isolationist countries, well, Hitler wasn't really an isolationist country, but he did believe in national sovereignty, at least for his officials. This is how they always start. If you look at the steps of abusing someone, one of the first methods is isolating them. Seriously. And what this administration is doing through its nationalist policies is basically domestic abuse towards the average citizen. There is no other way of phrasing it. Seriously. This is domestic abuse towards the average citizen. And we're all just fine with it because hashtag America first. Because of other bumper sticker catchphrases that are specifically designed to distract you from the issue at hand. You think I'm against Americans getting jobs or something? No. 
In fact, evidence has repeatedly shown that free trade grows the economy, but I'm talking about the economy, and they don't like that. They don't like that. I remember Josh Hammer was talking today, or at least he shared an article from American Compass, which is Orrin Cass's atrocious blog, um, that says the issue with neoliberalism, which is basically a code word for the Jews. Seriously, it's used so vaguely regarding what, what do these people think neoliberalism is? Serious question. Have any of them defined it? Has Josh Hammer ever defined it? Has Orrin Cass ever defined it? Has Tom Hartman ever defined it? Has Michael Moore ever defined it? Have any of these populists ever actually defined it? No, because typically it just means the Jews. Seriously. Triple brackets neoliberals. That's what I'm getting from this. But no, Hammer said the issue with neoliberals, or someone from American Compass, he shared the article. Uh, the issue with neoliberals is they value consumers and not citizens. Can you show me a single human being who doesn't consume? You know what? Nationally, if you were to if you were to apply the ideas of nationalism in your day to day life, you'd be considered a hermit with an eating disorder. Seriously, that is how ridiculous. Ridiculous these ideologies are and if you apply it to if you're a, a leader and you apply it to other people You're considered a domestic abuser with an eating disorder I mean there's no way around it. There is seriously no way around it This ideology is just ridiculous and they're using buzzwords like neoliberalism or consumers Well consumer isn't really a in the way they use it. It might as well be a buzzword Anti-materialist, that's one of their favorite ideologies, which is only, by the way, ever actually believed in by people who are oddly materially well-off. You ever notice, hey, Sohar Barami, you're an anti-materialist. How much material do you have? Serious question. Are you about to tweet how bad capitalism is from your iPhone? I I'm seriously asking, are you? Now, Sohar Barami is the man who once tweeted uh, that triple brackets neoliberalism is the reason his wife, who apparently has a high-profile job, is occasionally called into work during her maternity leave. Meanwhile, he's a prestigious editor of the New York Post, but I guess that doesn't matter. You know, he lives in a scenario where his wife could very easily be a stay-at-home mom with how much money he rakes in. But really, really, you're still going to sit there and go, my wife can't, um, cannot uh, enjoy her maternity leave when she's the CEO of a company because triple brackets neoliberalism is stinky. I mean, at least that's what I got from it. He deleted it a little bit later because so Harbarami is one of those people who always deletes his previous tweets because they're normally really stupid. Then he blocked me and Scott Howard for calling him stupid, just even despite the fact that he is objectively stupid. I'm sorry, but everything about nationalism is utterly nonsensical. And if you apply it in the real world, what you always end up with is isolationism 
And all that ever breeds is war and conflict and mistrust. And that's why, by the way, these people hate the internet. Because with the internet, I think it's like 11% of my viewers are French or something. I have an oddly large percent of French viewers. I'm just going to check the numbers right now. Yeah, about 11% of my viewers are French. They don't like that. They don't like that someone from France can hear me. Because then that means that we may realize there's not that big a difference and that nationalism is utterly nonsensical. It always has been and it always will be. In an era of increasing globalization, attempting to pull back the switch on nationalism is basically the equivalent of trying to give someone brain damage. That's what it's like. That is what it is like. Anyway, here's a story from Mediate. Flashback. Ten days ago, White House economic team projected pandemic deaths would fall to zero by today. Ten days ago, the White House Council of Economic Advisors released what seemed to be a pandery, pandery, ridiculous prediction that the country's COVID-19 death toll would drop to zero by March 15th, or May 15th, sorry. Uh, March 15th is Denzel Crocker Day. Today, the absurd, completely baseless estimate was confirmed as more than 1,000 Americans or more Americans have scrambled to complicate to complications from the virus as of Friday afternoon, raising this overall facility number to nearly 87,000. Wow. Wow. And you know what? You know what? This is what I expected. <laughs> these are the people, I don't know about you, but these are the people I trust on foreign relations. These are the people who I trust to tell me the long-term effects of trade policy. The same people who cannot even, for the life of them, figure out what's going on are the same people I trust to declare trade wars. Seriously. This is awful. This should be like the destruction of the administration right there. You said zero deaths. A thousand deaths have occurred in a day. I mean, wow. I mean, wow. And you know, by the way, the same people who wrote that graph immediately, immediately went to the president and said, Mr. President, we need more tariffs on China. Nothing bad will happen as a result. Peter Burrito even directly said, that tariffs have not hurt the American population. Uh, Politifax rated that a pants on fire. That's how much of a lie it was. Because people like Peter Burrito should never, ever, 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 ever be trusted. Um, just, oh my god. Oh my god. And this is... Okay, here's what uh, Mediate said about who created this. The source of the White House's rosy scenario was tracked back to senior economic advisor Kevin Hassett, who also co-authored the 1990 book or 1999 book Now 36,000 or 30 yeah 36,000, the new strategy for profiting from the coming rise in the stock market. Wackity schmackity doo. Which was infamously published just months before the dot com crash of 2000. Has it, the Washington Post reported, has been circulating the chart around the White House 
and will likely and was likely the reason it ultimately released to the public. So their source, their source, was someone who is only wrong. It's someone who is biggest track record is being wrong. Congratulations, guys. This is amazing. I mean, isn't this amazing? Seriously? We have a scenario where someone who's always been wrong went to the president who has always been wrong and gave him a prediction that has always been wrong. You know, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, it would actually be really funny. But it's actually just really, really, really sad. Uh, so what I'm getting from this is we need to put tariffs on China because it's their fault. Um, and for that matter, for that matter, we need to sanction them hell and back, as, as Lindsey Graham said. They even passed sanctions today, specifically over China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims. And I'm just sitting there thinking, when have Republicans ever cared about Muslims? Serious question. You know, Lindsey Graham, you didn't seem to care about Muslims back when you were encouraging us to bomb them. Remember that? You're still one of the biggest neoconservatives. But Lindsey Graham totally cares about Muslims, guys. I, I, I believe that. I really believe that. You know, it's the same thing with a lot of these China hawks. Bill Crystal, who is also a China hawk, but not a Trumper, he also looks like the crimologist from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Seriously. He does. Um, has talked repeatedly about how he can't stand the treatment of Uyghur Muslims in China. Bill, Bill Crystal cares about Muslims? Doesn't care when it's the U.S. killing them. Doesn't care when it's Israel killing them. But when China's doing it, that's a bridge too far. No, if you honestly believe there's a humanitarian effort behind Lindsey Graham, Bill Crystal, and all these other neoconservatives, you're a useful idiot. There is no way around it. You are a useful idiot. And you are buying into a nonsensical narrative regarding how we view the world right now. Regarding what is humanitarian. Seriously. There is no way around that. I mean, I mean just think about it for a second. When have these people ever actually shown concern for Muslims? The answer is the very second China started treating them badly. Of course, if you disagree with what Israel is doing regarding Muslims, you're an anti-Semite. And we need to make sure Congress is allowed to boycott you. Wasn't Graham one of the sponsors of that anti-BDS bill? Which also called for sanctions against a country that doesn't have the best record for treating Muslims? BDS does. Um, uh, of course, of course, of course. That doesn't matter because it's Israel. The, the hypocrisy here is unbelievable. There's no way around. The hypocrisy here is simply unbelievable. And so are the bad predictions. This is just all awful. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I think I have officially gone insane. Seriously, I think I have officially gone insane. And here's my reason. I'm about to do a segment that praises Jim Cramer. Just wow. Wow, this is... Oh my god, who knows what's open after this. Uh, CNBC's Jim Cramer pleads with Trump to be a good cop on China, 
quote, not time for a trade war. What are we crazy? Oh, man, you're you're so right. You are so right. And Jim Cramer, by the way, is a longtime hawk on China. Seriously, he has been for years now, and even he's acknowledging this is a bad time. Now, mind you, once the pandemic is over, I'll go back to disagreeing with him on this, because trade with China has been an untold benefit to the U.S. economy, and has been just a constant benefit, but that's besides the point. Uh, by his own admission, CNBC's Jim Cramer is a longtime hawk on U.S. economic relationships with China. I still say the Wuhan, the Wuhan virus, Kramer notes, but despite his entrenched position, the financial commentator is pleading President Donald Trump to take less of a hard line on China for the time being. In a passionate commentary on Squawk on Street Friday morning, that's today, or Squawk on the Street Friday morning, that's today, Kramer lamented the current state of affairs between the U.S. and China. This is terrible, Kramer said. China haters and China lovers should look at our retail sales in the morning and say, you know what, maybe we've got to shut up a little bit here. Maybe we're not as strong as we'd like, and we should hold on until we're stronger. Kramer warned that the timing is poor for a trade beef with China. This is not the time to cause some kind of trade war that escalated to the point where we have tariffs like 1930, he said. What are we, crazy? Oh my god. Oh my God, he is so right. He is honest to God so right. And this is the first time and probably the last I'm ever going to praise Jim Cramer. Honestly, I cannot get over that. Even Jim Cramer knows this is stupid. Therefore, it has to be really, really stupid. Oh my God. Uh... The CNBC commentator called on the president to play peacemaker of sort, given the presidents of China hawks like Peter Burrito in his administration. Trump already has some bad cops out there, Kramer said. He needs to be a more good cop, even if for a second it makes us look like we're nice to the Chinese. Oh my god, he is absolutely correct. The fact is, even if you want to debate protectionism, okay? Medicine should never be subject to protectionism, neither should science. Medicine and science, well, I guess science in general, escalates politics. It should ascend politics, it should ascend nationality. And mind you, I understand that Trump can't wave a magic wand and all of a sudden make all science competition worldwide disappear. Obviously. However, he should at least be working towards that. If he can't bring us into the future, he should at least be trying to get us there by talking about this meme. Meanwhile, what's he doing? He absolutely loves ruthless competition with other countries. And mind you, he comes from a business. He's a businessman, so that makes sense. However, you cannot run a country like how you run a business. You can't. Hence why. Hence why. We have a situation where we're doing ruthless competition with China over medicine during a pandemic. Which I cannot get over how objectively wrong that is. During a pandemic especially, medicine should not be subject to protectionism. It should not. Our main goal of trade policy should be to keep people alive longer and living better. Now what do we have? 
we have a situation where if you die of, a, of an illness because the medicine's too expensive or because the president banned the medicine because it's from the wrong country, well, too bad, bucko. That's just being America first. Keeping Americans sick is America first, apparently. What kind of sick and twisted logic is that? I seriously don't know. I seriously do not know. But that's what the administration is doing, and thank you, Jim Cramer, who's going to be smeared for this. He is going to be smeared as a shill to the Communist Party by people like Tom Cotton and by the Epoch Times, which has bought all these ads all over YouTube, basically all coming down to, did you know that China is stinky? Yes, I did. Don't worry, the Epoch Times. I already knew that. Don't worry. This is utterly nonsensical. This is utterly nonsensical. What the president is doing is nonsensical. And Jim Cramer, who's going to take massive backlash for this from the China Hawks, who, well, honest to God, let the world burn if it means China's on fire somewhat. They'll set their nation on fire if it means China, I guess, also is getting a little damaged. They're going to hate him for saying that, as they should, because Jim Cramer, for once, decided to speak the absolute truth, and it is amazing to watch. Seriously. Anyway, that that is all for tonight. I'm Ephraim, and I'm signing out. See you all tomorrow. If you enjoy this episode, you may enjoy my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life as an Anarchist. Or for that matter, if you want to submit to me a story or a column to the bunk or anything, simply send it to peacefulglobalistreview at gmail.com.